Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional grade industrial supplies. Count on real time product availability and fast delivery. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Gonna push tempo here. The Pelicans. Hold that follow through. He posed. That's right. This is what takes you to another level. What the Pell is up, everybody? This is Believe in the New Orleans Pelicans with your host, Elliot Clough at Elliot Clough on the Twitter and. Before we get started, you know what I'm going to say. And if you haven't done it already, you can do it right now. Make sure you subscribe and or follow depending on where you are listening to this podcast at the very moment. And if you're listening on Apple Podcasts, you make sure to leave a rate and review and tell a friend about the pod. You can never get enough Pelicans with the people in your circle. Today's episode of Believe in the New Orleans Pelicans is our third installment of the Drew Holiday Trade Series. Today we're talking Brooklyn Nets. I know we talked about this one not super extensively, but this was well known as my favorite destination for a trade with Drew Holiday with New Orleans Pelicans so they can acquire some other assets that'll be a little bit more complementary to what they want to do. Plus, I would love to see Drew in a situation like that. So today, We talk with Nolan Jensen of Nets Daily, SB Nation's Brooklyn Nets affiliate. We've been trying to work this out for a little while now, and this has been one of my favorite conversations so far, just honestly in this podcast in general. Nolan knows his Nets, and it was just fun. We've been trying to work this out for a while. We finally got it put together. I'm very excited for what you're about to hear. So here is my conversation with Nolan Jensen of Nets Daily. Nolan Jensen of Nets Daily and SB Nation at, is it Nolan NBA or, or what, reminding me, and, and Jensen NBA on Twitter? And Jensen NBA, you got it. <laughs> there we go. We'll remind you at the bottom of the episode here too as well. So Nolan, we've been trying to work this out for a little while, but we're happy to have finally gotten it done. Couldn't be better timing and you'll know why here in a little bit. But first off, Nolan, how you doing, man? Oh, man, I still feel like I'm regrouping from yesterday's basketball games. I mean, like, what an absolutely wild day of NBA playoffs. Wake up this morning. First thing I see here on the West Coast is the potential uh, Drew package, including the Brooklyn Nets. So that's what I'm assuming you're alluding to when it's the timing. <laughs> literally couldn't be any more perfect because that's exactly what it is. I'm excited to talk about a little Drew Holiday. He's one of my favorite players. And if we could possibly get him into our borough here in uh, Brooklyn. Folks, first thing that happened when I messaged Nolan is he hit me with a bunch of questions about how this could shake out. And uh, this is just going to be a really fun podcast. So, so stick around. Uh, Nolan is 
my Brooklyn Nets specialist on my Twitter feed. So he's the guy to, to be having this conversation with. So Brooklyn Nets are coming off the surprise hiring of Steve Nash. What were your immediate reactions to that hire, Nolan? And, and how do you feel now? Ah, shock. I think, first off, just like everybody else, I mean, this was a guy that wasn't even on the radar whatsoever. I thought Ty Lue was all about a lock, especially with the Kyrie connection. So Steve Nash really came out of left field, and that's kind of how the Nets have been operating for the last 13, 14 months. They're willing to, uh, you know, pull off the blockbuster, which makes me think they're going to also be willing to go after a guy like Drew Holiday. Um, I like it. Uh, I'm, I'm Canadian. Steve Nash played high school basketball here in Victoria, British Columbia. I'm from Vancouver, so that's an immediate connection with him. Uh, but outside of that, outside of my own biased opinions, I mean, he's a great basketball mind. And uh, like Sean Mark said in the Adrian Wojnarowski piece surrounding the Steve Nash hiring, they wanted a communicator. That's exactly what he is. He can go into a locker room and command respect. Durant has had experience with him as a player development consultant in uh in golden state nash that is i mean this is a guy that gives steph curry tips on how to shoot a basketball so he's he's respected league-wide he's going to have the respect of that locker room and i'm curious to see what kind of schemes he puts out on the basketball floor he emphasized defensive identity that's something the nets are going to need to have if they want to be true contenders uh a fast-paced offense which i'm assuming with the likes of kevin durant and kyrie irving and more importantly he did emphasize in-game adjustments, adjusting on the fly, malleability. I mean, you, in the in, in the postseason, I don't mean to take shots at anybody, but you got to be more like a Brad Stevens, Nick Nurse, Spolstra, Vogel, than a D'Antoni coach bite. It just is what it is. Right. We've taken plenty of shots on uh, Coach Budenholzer on this podcast, so, so feel free. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so I, I'm going to be honest too. I, I love the hire right off the bat. I you know obviously in some circles, the fact that he doesn't have any head coaching experience can be a negative, but I mean, we've seen Steve Kerr step in and be successful. Doc Rivers, you know, Mark Jackson, and you know, he, he's received some negative press as well. He, and he's not the greatest head coach of all time, but guys who played point guard able to step in and really improve their teams right away, let alone the fact that he has this relationship with Kevin Durant. And, you know, not every single person that you bring in for a head coaching position is going to get the respect of Kyrie Irving. So I really like the hire too. No, I fully agree. Elliot. How did you feel about them retaining Jacques Vaughn? I know he kind of connects with some of the, grit and grind kind of players that were left on the roster going into the playoffs. Plus he knows the roster. He's been a head coach before. Do you like the move of, of keeping Jacques Vaughn on under Steve Nash? That was a cherry on top. It, it really was. Um, this is a guy that the Nets organization is really fond of since he became an assistant in 2016. I mean, what he did in the bubble with the makeshift roster was absolutely phenomenal. And it's not, it's, it's, it is kind of – it's not really a guaranteed thing, actually, at this point because there are teams that have interest in Jacques Vaughn as a head coach, and, like, justifiably so. And I fully expect the Nets to give him the rights to go interview for such jobs because I think it's inevitable he is going to be an NBA coach in the near future. It could be in the next coming months. It could be in the next coming years. But if he is, good for him. I would obviously love to have him still here in Brooklyn. He has a connection with the players. Um, he's – going to be the highest paid assistant in the NBA. I believe that's notable. It really shows what the Nets think of him. 
he's, he's, he's going to be a great help to Steve Nash, who, like you said, is going to be a, a rookie head coach. Um, and they also said that they might resign Jamal Crawford, who was one of those, you know, player coaches in the bubble for Brooklyn. So he's going to have help alongside his uh, assistants um, on that bench. And I think that is going to be crucial for him. For sure. I mean, he knows the roster. So this way you, I, I don't like to use the word pandering, but I don't know of another word to, to use in this situation, but you pander to your stars in Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant. And you, you keep this guy around who obviously believed in these bench guys, these lesser known guys in this net situation. So I like the fit as well, even though he may go out and, and go to some other uh, franchise and, and be their head coach. So now that the Nets do have their coach, how do you feel about the outlook of this coming season? Obviously things are going to change from now until then. And especially if this Drew holiday situation comes to fruition, but what are your ex expectations for the Nets in 2020, 2021? I mean, I'm not going to mince words at all here. Uh, the Eastern conference is wide open. Uh, this is the first time since 1984 that both the top two seeds were not represented in the Eastern Conference Finals. Um, the Nets, my outlook, it's to win a championship. Um, if not be next year, uh, the year after that, I mean, summer of 2021, that's lurking. Who knows what the hell is going to happen that offseason. Next year really is, you know, the prime to strike here. Um, as I mentioned, the East is completely wide open. And there are a few teams out West that were, you know, relatively disappointing. I thought the Clippers were – for sure thing to uh, at least play in the Western Conference Finals. Um, obviously, that did not happen. I feel sorry for their fan base. But there is a lot of parity right now in the NBA, and it's just absolute perfect timing for Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving to come onto the scene. Now, they're not a complete team. Um, I really would like to get some versatile wings. Speaking of versatile defenders, one Drew Holiday would be amazing. Uh, I would like to get a stretch five in there, if possible, a la Paul Millsap or Aaron Baines, maybe even Serge Ibaka. But that's looking relatively unrealistic at this point just because the center rotation is so duplicative. But even that being said, this roster as constructed, you got Kevin Durant, you got Kyrie Irving, you got a wide open Eastern Conference, Eastern Conference, sorry, championship aspirations for me. I think that's fair. Obviously, KD is coming off this injury. Kyrie Irving didn't play in the bubble or any, any of the playoffs at all. So – looking to, to get healthy this offseason, come back and start 2020 at least uh, somewhat healthy and uh, so they can get rolling and get things figured out, how they're going to move the ball, how they're going to share the ball between those two, possibly three stars in Brooklyn. So I, I think that's fair. And, but you also hit it and you're being realistic in recognizing their needs. So are there any other wings that you're looking at that the Nets could go out and get, whether that be through the draft or, or free agency? Uh, through the draft, but I think it's all but a given that they're going to move this uh, 19th overall pick via Philadelphia. I was looking at Sadiq Bay. I wasn't even sure if he was going to drop that low, but if we could get our hands on him, NBA-ready wing is exactly what the Nets need. Um, I was looking at Jay Crowder, but I feel as if he's played himself into a larger contract. He's been such an integral part of that Miami Heat squad. He's been incredible. Uh, someone like a, maybe like a Jamichael Green is another guy I've looked at. Mo Harkless. I mean, there's targets for the Nets on the minimum, and there are going to be you know veterans that let's be honest, looking to ring chase, and Brooklyn could be a you know possible landing spot for them to achieve such goals. Um, but outside of those aforementioned names, not too many 
come to mind. Oh, as I mentioned, Aaron Baines, I would like to get a stretch five in there for um, just closing minutes. We've seen in the postseason here, a lot of teams are small, at least in small stints, I want to say. So I'm not exactly sure how what how DeAndre Jordan is going to look in the second round and beyond. So I would like to get someone like an Aaron Baines in there as well. It's a lot of needs uh, that the Pelicans, I mean, the two needs that you mentioned, the Pelicans definitely have those needs as well. I think a lot of teams, I mean, any team can use as many three and D guys as they can get at that wing position. And then any five that can shoot the ball, you're going to be valued in today's league because if you can get boards and you can shoot and space, then, then you're going to be valued on, on any NBA team. So should this, uh, should the Nets move to get Drew do you like the fit next to Kyrie at that two position, third scoring option, and another defensive piece for Brooklyn? I mean, I'll, uh, I'll answer your question with a question on my own. Like, I don't think there's a, a team right now in the NBA where Drew Holiday wouldn't fit, where they couldn't use a guy like Drew Holiday. I mean, he's just a great complimentary player. That's the reason why Pelicans fans are so high on him. Um, just, I mean, if there's a guard to, that's going to take home Defensive Player of the Year honors, nobody's done it since Gary Payton in 96. It's going to be Drew Holiday. I think that's fair to say, right? Oh, yeah, that's fair. I mean, it, it, the fact that he's on a small market team and the defense as a whole has, well, I, like you said, not going to mince words, sucked <laughs> basically the entire season this year. He didn't even get on, on an all-NBA defensive team. So, um yeah, I think if he gets in, put in a situation, if he gets traded to a team that has better team defense, uh, he could be put there for sure. Another quick question before we get into uh, hypotheticals. I want to ask you about um, – it's actually funny because this is a guy that I follow since Chino Hills in his UCLA days. <laughs> I really wanted him to succeed, but um, at some point, words like upside and potential have a shelf life to kind of become what they are. And I'm afraid Lonzo Ball might be what he is. And I'm not sure that's going to be great for the Pelicans. Like, well, how, how do you feel about him? Is he going to be moved this offseason before his RFA kicks in and you have to uh, cough up the dough? Yeah, that's, uh, that's a good question. You know, I think the thing that would push the Pels to move him this offseason is that restricted free agency coming next year. But because somebody's going to pay him like he they're still looking. I mean, he's still young. He improved his three point shot drastically this season, even though he was horrible in the bubble. There's uh, definitely facets to his game where he needs to improve attacking the basket, finishing layups, uh, the half court offense. He's really just he played really tentatively in the bubble, too, except for that first game when he went two of 12. <laughs> so. I think what, like I said, would push them to make that move is the RFA this this season. Otherwise, man, it's such a tough call because he played really well during the regular season. He came in and was horrible in the bubble, and that has pushed people to say, we need to get rid of him, we need to get rid of him. Right. And if he comes back this coming season, I think the Pels need to do as much as they possibly can to retain Fred Vinson, who is the shooting co coach for the Pels uh, and has done wonders for him and Brandon Ingram. And somebody's got to, I mean, I mean, there's so many different issues with the Pels. Obviously, somebody's got to step up into a leadership position because it's been clear in his NBA career, other than his dad, more than likely, nobody's really gotten in Lonzo's face and said, look, you need to get to the basket. You need to be confident about, get, about getting to the basket. You need to work in your half court game. So 
<laughs> you know, I, I don't know. Uh, his drafts or excuse me, his trade stock is going to be pretty low right now too, because there's that recency bias of the bubble. I don't know, man. I can give you all the factors, but I really just don't know. I, I would like to retain him, but at the same time, I don't want the Pels to say, oh, this person, I mean, you know, the, the Hornets are offering him $20 million. We need to match that because he's not worth $20 million in New Orleans. You know, 10, 12, I'd be open to that. But other than that, there's no, need, there's no reason to, to retain Lonzo Ball this, this upcoming season. I mentioned that because if you guys do offload Lonzo Ball in a separate trade, because I'm just going to be honest with you, this is, I don't want him in Brooklyn. <laughs> fair enough. Uh, that's fair. <laughs> we have a uh, six foot six point guard that uh, likes to drive the rag pretty consistently, can get upwards of 15 to 20 drives per game. I mean, Lonzo Ball only had seven and a half and shot 33%. This guy's a lot more efficient. And his playmaking has improved quite a bit this uh, this season in one Spencer Dinwiddie, which brings me to like another question I have for you. <laughs> Harris Levert, I don't know if the conversation starts there because I actually have a hard time gauging Drew Holiday's worth. I mean, he's a guy that I'm going to openly tell you I'm really fond of, but at the time, I'm not entirely sure if we have to throw carriers into the street. I'm not entirely sure that Trajan Langdon, who is obviously really familiar with the Brooklyn Nets, would necessarily want to pair carriers with two high usage profiles like Zion Williamson and Brandon Ingram. Cause I can tell you even the, the fit in, in Brooklyn, there's still a lot of questions that are unanswered, but he's been the best version of himself when he has a usage between like 25 to 32%. He needs a ball in his hands. That's how he's going to succeed. His off-ball stuff still needs a lot of work. I mean, his on-off numbers with Kyrie Irving this season, be it on a really small sample size, they were not good at all. I believe if they had like a net rating of minus 12, it just it looked clunky. It's, he hasn't really learned quite yet how to operate with two high usage guys. Like, I mean, he's going to do with Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving, but at least in Brooklyn, he can kind of play that six-man role. And, uh, I mean, in the bubble, he was playing with a lot of guys that might be on the second unit anyway, and he was absolutely tremendous. And then he can obviously close games and defer to someone like KD or Kyrie. But as a starter in New Orleans, I don't know, man. Like, when you think of potential fits for Brandon Ingram and Zion Williamson, because I'm, inter- I'm assuming that those are your long-term options. Yep. Would you want another high-usage guy, or would you want somebody that's honestly a little more malleable in Spencer Dinwiddie and can – defer to those guys and get them involved a little easier than say a carers can. Right. So there's a couple things that it's going to come down to. Obviously you're going to get a, you're going to want to get a coach that is going to get players to buy in because if you can get a coach that's going to get players to buy in, you can really make Karras the primary scorer on the second unit and he can be a 15, 16, 17 points a game kind of night kind of player. If you're looking for the immediate future, obviously Dinwiddie's going to be your guy. And especially if you offload Lonzo mm-hmm. and hmm. I, you know, I, I like Karis. I think Karis, I don't know that Karis has to be a part of the package. I, I like the package that I saw and we're going to talk about that here at the bottom of the show, sure. but Karis is going to provide the most, the most, 
to a, to a trade package, if you know what I mean. And, and that might be recency bias as well from, from his play in the bubble and in the playoffs. But I mean, you, you have an incredibly good point. Uh, you're going to want somebody who's more malleable to, to those two stars. And for a two or a three that you pair with BI and Zion in the starting lineup, I mean, we've been talking about this on this podcast for such a long time in terms of the need for a three and D guy, a a wing as well. And we're talking Patrick Williams in this year's NBA draft. We've talked Mm -hmm. Mo Harkless, like you mentioned. So if you can get a savvy vet, the Pels can get a savvy vet to play alongside, let's say it's Lonzo, B.I., Brandon Ingram, and and who knows if they're bringing back Derek Favors or if J.J. Reddick's going to be in the starting lineup or, or what have you. But uh, if you can get a, a Mo Harkless to start and, and Karras can buy into coming off the bench and be that primary scorer with the second unit, mm-hmm. I, I'm all in. I'm all in on Karras. But it's, it's really about that. It's about if Karras is going to let his ego get in the way and say, look, I am going to be the third best player on this team. I need to be a starter whether or not that's going to factor into player success. Because if you're really going to try to split touches between those three players who are all high usage, I don't know how you make it work. Yeah, that's the problem. That uh, I mean, it, honestly, it's a lot of the same issues that Brooklyn has. Karras have heard a lot of ways of being in kind of a similar situation in New Orleans as he is in Brooklyn. Um, so far, uh, absolutely no attitude problems when it comes to Karras Avert. Um he came off the bench this season once he uh, came back from injury as a six-man. He's played six-man in the past. I think he just wants to win. He wants to help a team succeed, and that is value in and of itself, having a high-character guy, and that's exactly what Karis LeVert is. But as you mentioned, before we get, you know, before we get too crazy into this, there was a package um, thrown out this morning. I'm assuming we're talking about the same one, right? Uh, that one that came out via Scoop B. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. All right. I, I, yeah, I just saw that on Twitter, that, that one that I tagged you in. So we can dive right into that. There is one topic that, that uh, I want to address before we go right into that, actually. Sure. So talking about players or, sorry, coaches that can create buy-in with your franchise, is Kenny Atkinson that guy? Can he establish that? With uh, you knew you had to know I was going to go there. <laughs> Can he establish that with the Pelicans? Can he do that with with guys that uh, let's say Trajan Langdon does make something like this happen, and he goes out and get gets Karras, goes out and gets Spencer Dinwiddie, Jared Allen, any of these other guys? Can he create that buy-in once again in New Orleans with not only his former players from the Nets, but with the new players that he would have, i.e., Brandon Ingram, Zion Williamson? I mean, it's like, it's crazy. You got like the Nets footprints all over. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, you know, like, honestly, I think you guys could recreate a similar culture as to what Brooklyn had and got them in a position to land Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving. Kenny, Kenny's tough. I see a lot of Kenny's flaws now that he's been gone. I was a huge Kenny Atkinson guy, huge Kenny Atkinson apologist. I actually wrote <laughs> one stating that the Nets should keep Kenny Atkinson, get this, a day before he was fired. So, oh. Yeah, I was Ouch. Yeah. 100 words just gone completely out the window. Oh. Like cool, but you know it is what it is. For those of you who aren't writers, 1,200 words is a lot. It can be tough sometimes. And <laughs> Kenny Atkinson, and then just literally 14 hours later, that next morning, I see that he's fired. I'm like, oh, okay, cool. I, <laughs> I should I should post an article saying that the Brooklyn Nets shouldn't go after Bradley Beal and see if that works. Right. right. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
But Kenny, he's we we, we kind of know what he is. He's more of a player development guy. And, um, he's great for guards. Absolutely fantastic for guards. And this goes long before his days in Brooklyn. This goes back to Jeremy Lin and Lin Sanity in New York. It goes back to Jeff Teague in Atlanta. Jeff Teague actually credited Kenny for quote unquote saving his career and turning him into an All Star point guard. He can get you into that right position. I'm not so sure he can make those subsequent moves, as in. Can he be a top six to eight coach in the NBA on a contender? That it's still unanswered. I'm not quite sure. He's really stubborn in his schemes. Um, defensively, you guys are going to be good. He's got great defensive schemes. Takes away shots at the rim. Takes away quality three-point looks. Leaves bad shooters open. He's going to give up the mid-range. And, I mean, it doesn't matter who you're playing. You could be going against the San Antonio Spurs, most efficient mid-range team in the NBA. Kenny's going to allow LMA to pop off, you know, <laughs> off pick and rolls all game. That's just that he is what he is. And then the postseason, man, like coaches like that have been getting exposed. And he also – he doesn't really like playing his key guys, his starters, significant minutes. Like a lot of what you saw with Coach Bud, kind of what Kenny can be for better and for worse, right? But he can definitely get you guys in that right direction, get you guys moving. I still think he is a good coach. And honestly, he could have learned from a lot of his mistakes. Uh, he's a smart guy. Uh, can he be malleable? Can he be adjustable? I'm not so sold on that aspect of his game in terms of like in-game adjustments because, I mean, there is a – almost four-year sample size stating otherwise. But, I mean, he deserves credit for what he did in Brooklyn. I um, mean, they weren't supposed to go 42-40 and 40 in the 18-19 season. They weren't supposed to take a game in the playoffs against the highly favored and, you know, most people viewed a legitimate contender in the Philadelphia 76ers. As I mentioned, like – are you looking for that development guy? Are you looking for like a long-term option where he can get you guys in the right direction and continue to travel down that path? Kind of. Right. So for me, I'll just tell you who my top four candidates are and we'll see what you think of that. And then I'll get into it a little bit more. So it's, it's going to be Kenny, then Jerry Stackhouse, Billy Donovan and Sam Cassell. And so, and I've been convinced by a plenty of other writers, plenty of other of my uh, guys in, in the bird rights group chat. And my top choice is going to be Jerry Stackhouse. Chris Connor put at, together an incredible article on, on Stackhouse. Yeah. Wasn't that awesome? That was fantastic. So by looking at all those four guys, Stackhouse looks to be the most holistic, like he can bring just about everything, NBA vets, all of that. Now, Donovan, what he's going to bring is flexibility. He's had a ton of different rosters in Oklahoma City, and he's adjusted to those rosters every time. Sam Cassell is a little bit more of an unknown, but he's been praised like crazy by Doc Rivers. And then we just talked about Kenny Atkinson. So mm -hmm. what I'm looking for is obviously going to be the most holistic coach. And, you know, if you can bring every facet and, and be great at a lot of it, by all accounts, then Stackhouse is going to be the guy. So – it's tough because we know what Kenny Atkinson is. And if he can bring Zion and, and Brandon Ingram to a whole nother level and make Nikhil Alexander Walker, a viable player in this, in this league and, and make these other Brooklyn guys buy in, should they be traded to 
New Orleans, like sign me up. Uh, but it, you mentioned all those weaknesses and I want to say that you said he's a smart guy. I want to say he can learn and, and more, we can lean to the fact that he hasn't been in the playoffs as a head coach more than that one series. So he might not be super malleable in the season and, and maybe those things change in the playoffs and, and maybe they get better and maybe he becomes more valuable in the regular season. So does that answer your question? A bit. Um, I'd also say in terms of like where I think Kenny should land, New Orleans was like third or fourth on my depth chart. Okay. If I'm thinking Kenny, I'm thinking Chicago Bulls or Atlanta Hawks with their guard play. It could work in New Orleans, but I mean like Matt, Chris Conner really convinced me in the Jerry Stackhouse. <laughs> I think he's, he's your guy. I mean, Kenny is a viable option. And if he gets that gig, I think he's going to do fine with it. I think he's going to do well. But I'm not sure he's the most appealing option for New Orleans and Trajan and David Griffin, if that makes sense. Sure. Yeah, that makes sense. The thing for me in that situation is that Kenny has proven what he can do with bad teams. And I think he wants to come into a situation where it's a young team, but a, a viable team in terms of making the playoffs and show what he can do. So that's, that's my pull. That's really my pull for, for Kenny. And I, I just don't see him going to the bulls. I see that more of a Darvin ham, Emeo Doka kind of situation. No, yeah. Those are two. <laughs> Actually. Yeah. That's a good point. Those are two viable <laughs> options, but I mean, with Kenny, just to reiterate what I said, you're going to be getting a good coach. You're going to be getting an analytically inclined coach relevant to his era, um, sometimes for better and for worse. But like as I mentioned, maybe he's learned from some of the mistakes he made in Brooklyn. Um, maybe he pro- he proves to be more malleable in a, uh, another coaching gig if he gets another shot, and maybe that's in New Orleans. Would I think it be a bad hire? Absolutely not, man. Uh, I think he would do fine there, but – as mentioned, I think Stackhouse might be your guys' guy, but that's just my opinion. I tell you, Chris Connor has convinced everybody and their mother that Jerry Stackhouse <laughs> is the next greatest coach in the NBA, but uh, we'll see what happens. So if you haven't looked it up while we've been talking, Kenny Atkinson at Scoop B, and I've seen some tweets from this guy, so I'm not sure how legitimate this, this guy is and his sources are, but uh, we can still talk it nonetheless, and it could still come to fruition. So, Per Scoop B on Twitter, the Nets have reported an offer. Their offer is Spencer Dinwiddie, Jared Allen, Dizanon. Am I pronouncing that right? Jonan. Okay, Jonan. Close enough. Yeah. (laughs) Jonan, Musa, and a protected first-round pick in exchange for Drew Holiday. So, Nolan, what are your first thoughts on that? How do you feel about that package in exchange for Drew? All right, I mean – Immediately what stood out is that the money doesn't work in this trade situation. And I know that because myself, I've concocted plenty of trades surrounding Joe Holiday because I would love him in Brooklyn. Um, I believe they'd be like four or five million dollars short. So if you take out Jean and Musa and put in Torian Prince or just attach Torian Prince to that trade hypothetical as is, I love it. You know, I do. You get a complimentary uh, piece for the Brooklyn Nets one of the league's best perimeter defenders. I mean, we saw what he did to Damian Lillard just a couple seasons ago in the playoffs, essentially made him a non-factor. He can go and lock up the opposition's best perimeter player on any given night and also give you 20 
to 25 points on any given night. So I love it. Um, the Nets are in a tight uh, logistic cap situation where Spencer Dinwiddie is inevitably going to opt out of his player option next summer. Don't have the money to pay him. Uh, again, with Jared Allen, once his uh, RFA extension kicks in, we just don't have the money to re- retain him. So I always thought if the Nets make any moves, it's going to be Spencer Dinwiddie and Jared Allen. That protected first-round pick and Torian Prince are all bought a package at this point just because Torian Prince's uh, value as an asset has dwindled significantly. He did not have a good season. Could he turn it around? I don't know. But I love it. You know, if we can get Drew Holiday without having to forfeit Karis Avert, to me, this is fantastic. How do you feel? I obviously I, I didn't look up the the money before we got started because it was just boom and then we started recording. So uh, obviously money is going to be an issue when you look at it, like you said. So they might not be this exact package. Maybe the uh, maybe something else comes to fruition where they can make it work with another piece or two. But I like Dinwiddie, Jared Allen, and, and that first round pick. I don't know what, obviously, I didn't even know how to pronounce his name, John and Musa. <laughs> when it comes down to it, if the Pels can fit in a package, I don't know how you feel about this, but if they can get Karis and Jared Allen both, and, uh, and I'm not sure if that money works either, but with a pick or something like that in exchange for Drew, I'm good. Like That is the ideal situation for the Pels. They can get Karis and Jared Allen because – we just don't know what Jackson Hayes is going to be. Obviously, he's got a high ceiling. If you can get Jared Allen, and that means you can get rid of Derek Favors, which Favors, I'm not sure how much Pelicans basketball you watch this year, but that is an old 29-year-old man. I was and shocked. Yeah, he just looked bad in the bubble too. And it was just a rough year for, for bigs in, in New Orleans. And the Pels are going to move off Jaleel Okafor more than likely this offseason as well. So I – I like the package and I, I'm okay with getting Torian Prince in exchange for Dazan and Musa as well. So, I mean, I like it, it looks good to me. I mean, obviously it's such a tough situation too. And I started this series kind of reluctantly because Drew is loyal and this is a small market and this is more than more than often a bad franchise. And it's just tough to, to give him up for anything less than the, the ideal of, of Karis or Jared Allen, just from, you know, an emotional standpoint. And obviously you gotta be uh, logical in, in situations like this, where you're, you're going to send off a player and, and you've got such a bright future in new Orleans, but I like the package. I, I think, you know, obviously they're going to have to make money fit, but I like it. I, I think that uh, Spencer can come in and really take over that starting point guard position and, and do well. And Jarrett Allen at the five, I like that a lot. And if you add a wing that can score in there too off the bench, by all means, and, you know, obviously add that first round pick in there. Maybe that means the Pels can move up package that 13 and 19 and go get Patrick Williams too. So I, I like it. I like it at its pace. I was going to ask because that's uh, another question I have. Um, Jared Allen, Jackson Hayes, that's also like a little duplicative as a center rotation. I mean, they're, they're pretty similar. They're both Texas big men too. Right. Like how high are you right now on Jackson Hayes? Because I just have an outsider's perspective of him because I, I didn't get to watch too many uh, Pelicans games this season. I like him. I know he's very raw and green at this point, but it feels like there's something – there 
So whereas I'm not quite sure how you make Hayes and Jared Allen work on the same rotation. I don't know that that's, that was a question mark for me. So I guess my question to you, Elliot is what's the outlook on Hayes right now? I was thinking the same thing about fit in a rotation, having them both in. So we're, we're on the same page with that. The thing about Hayes is he showed some real flashes this year. I mean, I, we've all seen his dunks. He's stupid athletic. Uh, he's looking to be working on his jump shot this off season. So if you can add that to his game, that's awesome. But like you said, he's incredibly raw. He doesn't know how to throw his body around. He needs to gain some weight not good defensively. Sometimes he just looks lost. And on top of that, to quote our friend of the show, Kevin Berrios and fellow writer at the bird rights, he's just feeling himself too much because there's been situations where he's asking the media, what have you been doing to work on your defense? What are you learning from Derek favors and, and the coaching staff? And he says, actually, I think I'm pretty good there. And literally maybe 30 minutes ago, he looks completely lost on the defensive end. Uh, so with, with defensive rotations, especially, and you throw in the fact that Zion is absolutely disgustingly horrible on defense and he's got a lot to learn. So he's only played 24 games in his NBA career. Mm -hmm. This isn't the biggest worry in the world, but if you have Zion and Jackson Hayes on the floor at the same time, no, thank you. So I would be okay with, with sending Jackson Hayes away in this trade as long as the Pels were to get Jared Allen. Is Hayes a guy that you want based on, well, everything I've oh, said no, and no, what you know? Sorry, no, that was just my question. I was wondering, like, how Jared Allen and Jackson Hayes could potentially fit. I mean, you guys could also, I mean, again, outside his perspective, like, ship someone like Lonzo and Jackson Hayes and go get another complimentary asset for your team. Because in Jared Allen, I mean, he's 22. He's only a couple years older than Hayes, and he's getting better. I mean, he's been making subtle improvements, which each passing season, those are starting to become more and more glaring. Um, in the bubble, he added playmaking that I didn't even know existed. All of a sudden, he's <laughs> out of the high post and short roll. I'm like, what the hell is this? <laughs> With Kenny, he didn't really get to do that much. Um, with Jacques Vaughn, Jacques Vaughn kind of put his best players into positions to succeed, and it really showed with Jared Allen. I mean – it's getting to a point with him where you could be think he's doing essentially nothing. And then all of a sudden you, you check a box score and I got, this isn't the best way of calibrating a player's worth, but he'll have like 12, 10 and two blocks in the steel. And it's like, what the hell? He's getting <laughs> to like that point consistently. Um, I think he can be a solid defensive anchor for a team like new Orleans moving forward. Um, the shot, it just doesn't exist at this point. Um, as a rookie, he shot five of 15 from three. He shot 75% from the line. So there was hope that he could fade off pick and rolls, knock down 16 footers, knock down mid range Jays, and maybe even extend that, you know, range beyond the arc. But thus far, it just hasn't been there. Could it be there in the future? I mean, potentially. Um, he's been working on his hook shots. He's got half decent you know footwork in the low block and he can open up an offense significantly with his pick battle with the pick and roll he's one of the best roll men in the nba so i think you guys are getting a really solid player here in jared allen and like you say with spencer dinwiddie i mean he elevated his play to near all stardom this season and unlike lonzo he's actually going to apply pressure to half court defenses with his drive <laughs> Which feels like an unfair shot, but I mean, like, look at the numbers. I mean, yeah. <laughs> much Lonzo. Lonzo shot 33% on drives. Dinwiddie did not do that. Yeah. So, <laughs> opened up a lot for um, 
Zion and company. So I actually, I mean, I understand that you guys would want Karis. Uh, unfortunately for me, I mean, I, I want to give Karis a shot. I do, as, at least as a sixth man in this rotation. I mean, he's going to be the 17th highest paid shooter guard in the NBA next season. He really elevated his play. I'm I'm curious to see what he could do with Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving because often I think Nets fans and like myself included, we've questioned who could be complementary talents to Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving. But in this instance, it could almost be the other way around because Karis, like he just applies so much pressure to uh, half guard defenses with his dribble drive penetration it's, it, himself. Uh, he had 20 drives in the bubble per game. He shot 60% had an assisted turnover ratio of three to one and be it small sample size, but he is getting significantly better in that regard. And then you have like three elite catch and shoot guys like Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving and Joe Harris who are all above 40% in that aspect. And like, it starts to get really intriguing for me. So I would want to hold off on Karis in this deal. Uh, would that make that work? I'm not sure. Would David Griffin and Shadron Lang- Langdon, sorry, be willing to play ball? I don't know if they said no, I would understand, but that's just like how I feel on this. And I think Dinwiddie, Allen, Toy and Prince to make the money work. Um, a lot of protected first and hell, if you have to even throw in like a 2022 top eight protected or whatever, I would make that deal 11 times out of 10. Remember? <laughs> I like that trade too. I like that package. I think that's a place where we can meet in the middle. The thing, and we tr- I just told you before we started recording, if we get talking, it's fine. We're, we're running towards the end here. I got to get back to work. But there, there are a couple things that I want to run by you. I don't know how you make it work offensively when you got Kyrie, KD, Karras, and Drew Holiday all on the same team. Obviously, Drew is going to be more of a passive guy. He doesn't need to get his every night on the, on the offensive end. He can just be a defensive guy when needed. But he also has nights when he just can't miss. So how do you work that in with all four of those guys? In like a closing kind of lineup situation, um, man, you know what? That's a good question. And like it's tough. I honestly don't know because Drew Holiday, I mean, he shot 35% from three. I don't think his catch and shoot numbers were great. Same thing applies for Karras. Um, Drew Holiday, I mean, I feel like a lot of nights, all he has to do is really go out there and disrupt the opposition's flow defensively. And if he can shoot, you know, three of eight, sometimes two for seven from the three-point line, <laughs> I think the Nets have enough offense where it'll be sufficient. Uh, Karras, if he doesn't have it going that night, he's just not going to be out there with the uh, with the closing lineup. And I, I think Steve Nash and Jacques Vaughn and all them, I think that's going to be their uh, approach. I think that's going to be their philosophy, just ride the hot hand in the closing minutes. Um, I, I think they have a lot of versatility there. Um, but as far as, like, those four on the court at the same time goes – Drew and Karras are just going to have to defer most nights. And I, I feel like they're both capable of that. I, I feel like Drew is a good off-ball player. Um, I mean, you've watched him throughout his career in New Orleans. I mean, he's a pretty unselfish cat, and I think that's, like, fair to say. Um, same thing kind of applies for Karras, where he's more willing to accept certain rules. I mean, he's been a six-man multiple times. Um I believe truly that he will defer to Kevin and Kyrie if need be, or like 
as Kevin Durant said, I mean, Karras is a guy that can lead the team in scoring and assists on any given night. If he's got it going, they're going to defer to him. And I actually saw that a bit with Kyrie this season, even though earlier I mentioned that the numbers weren't exactly fantastic with them on the floor at the same <laughs> time. I think you got four really good players, and I think you're going to be able to make that work. If it doesn't, there's always the trade deadline. You can deal Karras elsewhere if that comes to fruition. But I'm pretty confident that Nash and company and the players on the floor, the personnel, are going to be able to uh, find a way to make that work. Fair enough. I, I like the, the analysis, and, and we'll see what happens. Now, the other thing is, is kind of a brief story. I don't think I've shared it on, on the podcast before, but you're, you're my Nets guy, so i got to share this with you. My – Junior and senior year of college, I had a sports radio show called Clough and Q Sports Talk with one of my buddies. And we did this thing at the end of the show. We do rapid fire where we just hit off some other storylines that we didn't talk about during the, the, you know, meat and potatoes of the show. Mm-hmm. And we ended <laughs> during it was more of a national show. I mean, we talked about the college. I went to the university of Northern Iowa. So we talked about Northern Iowa sports for the first, first 15 minutes. Next two segments were national sports. And then we did rapid fire. And so I wasn't super into the NBA and the specifics of the NBA. This was also a couple years ago too. So Spencer Dinwiddie wasn't as good at the time. So we started, uh, we did our picks for, the all-star break, like who would win what special event, you know, like the skills challenge or whatever. And both of us picked Chris Stapps Porzingis. Chris Stapps got hurt. And then my pick was Spencer Dinwiddie because I'd never heard of the guy and I thought his last name was funny. And then, and then he won. And after that, we started doing the daily Dinwiddie at the end of every show where my friend would go, daily Dinwiddie. And then we would just rattle off his box score from the most recent game. And then, and then he got hurt and we transferred it to holy crap, Karis. <laughs> I like it. I like it. I've been finding the perfect moment to share that story. And, and it finally there came up. Go. So <laughs> I'm glad You're, I could come on and do that for you, Elliot. <laughs> <laughs> You're my guy for a whole lot of reasons, Nolan. Hey man, we appreciate you stopping by and uh, we'll, Hey, let me know how that, uh, that podcast thing shakes out. If, if it ends up working, I'd love to join you sometime and we'll make sure to retweet your, your first episode and such. And, and remind us how we can follow you on Twitter. Remind us how we can see some of your writing as well. All right, all my writing is on Brooklyn Nets SB Nation affiliated blog, Nets Daily. On Twitter, you can find me at N J E N S E N M B A. That's everything, man. I appreciate you having me on. This was a lot of fun. It was a lot of fun talking about Drew Holiday. It was perfect timing. It was perfect timing. <laughs> For sure, brother. We'll talk soon. And there you have it, Pels fans, my conversation with Nolan Jensen of Nets Daily. Make sure you go follow him on Twitter and you can stay tuned for some more of his pieces that I'm sure he'll share on Twitter. And I'm going to be making sure to retweet it once he gets a podcast started with Nets Daily. Now, with this podcast very much right here. Make sure to subscribe and or follow depending on where you are listening to this podcast. And if you're listening on Apple Podcasts, make sure you leave a rate and review Do it right at this very moment. Tell a friend about the podcast as 
well, have them leave a rate review just so you can help out your favorite Pelicans podcast. Make sure to go follow at Elliot Clough on Twitter. You're going to be getting all the Pelicans content there, including my work from the bird rights. You're going to be getting work not only from myself, but from former guests like Preston Ellis, Ali Cosell, Chris Connor, David Grubb, and Kevin Berrios. Fam, Thanks so much for tuning in today. We got our fourth installment of the Drew Holiday Trade Series coming up. Hopefully, tomorrow we'll be recording that with an extremely, extremely high-profile guest. I'm very, very excited for that. I don't want to spoil it. Just come back tomorrow, and you'll be able to hear it either tomorrow or Saturday. We'll, we'll get it worked out one way or another, hopefully before any sort of Drew Holiday trade happens. So once again, thanks for tuning in today. Have a good one. Go Pels. And I am Elliot Clough, and this was Believe in the New Orleans Pelicans. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.